Grateful that we can come together as your people this Advent season and see these texts in new light. And we pray that you would do just that for us, Holy Spirit, and illumine our hearts and minds to the reality of your grace and truth and love. Take our minds now and think through them. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you and for your son, Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. In the summer of 1993, I was hired to be the co-head baseball coach uh, at Westlake High School in Waldorf, Maryland. It was, it was a sweet gig, quite honestly, because as the co-head coach, the head coach told me, you plan. You do all the planning, all the practices. I got game time decisions. You're my right-hand guy. And I said, awesome, great, because... Unless it was right at the game time, I was in charge. And when the parents complained, they went to him. It was a great deal. And so the, I got hired because they had just come off a season where they were 0-18. And, and they needed help. And so we started working with them, and I quickly realized that these, these were good kids. They, they really loved to play baseball, and that's a good thing. But there was absolutely no sense of urgency to win at all. And so after we got through the first few weeks and we made our final cuts and we were getting ready to play, start the season, the coach and I, recognizing this is the reality, said, we need to have a team meeting. And he let me have it. I said, men, we're going to win but things are going to have to change. So get used to the change. We're going to work smarter. We're going to work harder. We're going to work more efficiently. And we're not going to win every game. But we're going to stop losing games. And therefore, we're going some places. And if you want part of that, let's go. We got work to do. Walked out, and we never looked back. Three years later, we're sitting in Baltimore, Maryland, the state semifinal, with a bunch of hardworking, good kids who had no business being in the state semifinal. But they believed. Why? Because there was a sense of urgency to win. Well, Paul's not talking about winning in the athletic field. He's talking about urgency to love in a pagan Roman culture in his day in light of our Lord's second coming. He's looking to these Roman Christians, and he wants them to get this across. He's left the theological part of the book of Romans into the very practical part. So I invite you to turn with me to Romans 13, because we learn two great truths. We learn the urgent call of ongoing horizontal love of neighbor. And secondly, we learn the specifics of that call, Okay. The urgent call to ongoing horizontal love and to the specifics of that call and what that means for us today. Let's look at the first one. The urgent call to ongoing horizontal love. Paul does not view this call as a casual matter. We are never to say, oh, I'm a Christian in a casual way. It's a great blessing 
and a great honor, but he sees it as having an utmost urgency. Besides, notice what he says in verse 11. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Paul's sense of urgency is stressed by the word time in his opening sentence. You notice I didn't mention verses 8 through 10 because that was the Ten Commandments. I didn't want to, we just said them, right? We just reminded ourselves. And the reason Thomas Cranmer put them at the beginning of the liturgy, most of the time we just do the summary of the law. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And then love your neighbors yourself. But on the first Sunday of Advent and the first Sunday of Lent, we do all ten of them. And notice how we respond as a congregation. Lord, have mercy on us and write all these laws on our hearts. Because that's the intent of saying them, of hearing them. That's why we change the liturgy periodically to, to not keep it from being rote. That we're actually praying the liturgy, not just saying it or reading it. And so I didn't want to just, look, we've heard it. And it's to remind us that, you know what, maybe I didn't love my neighbor as myself this week. Maybe I didn't love the Lord, and I need a Savior. And so in Advent, we go right to the Trisagion. Three times, thrice holy, we sing it all throughout Advent to remind us that God's provided us a Savior, a holy Savior on our behalf. And so this salvation is nearer than ever before, and he uses that word. It's, the urgency is stressed by the use of the word time. Besides this, you know the time. Now, Paul could have used either Greek words, chronos or kairos. Chronos meaning chronological time, time on my watch, counting time, calendar time. Or he could have used kairos, which emphasizes a quality of time. A quality of walk. And Paul doesn't use chronological here. He uses kairos. What kind of time is that? The New Testament calls the last days. It's not a chronological sense, but it's a qualitative sense of life. And these last days began with Christ and will culminate on the last day. On his return at any moment. But that's not Paul's point here. Paul was telling his hearers and us that we are living in these last days, that this present age, in the words of C.E.B. Cranfeld, Paul refers to as the night could never have a higher status than that of something far spent. In other words, we spend it all unto our Lord in these last days. Henceforth, the day would always be eminent. And one day it will finally break open when our Lord comes for us. So this brings a sense of urgency to the matter of loving our neighbors on a whole new level. We're to wake up from spiritual lethargy and love our neighbors while we have the opportunity to do so. We ought to be like the little boy where the grandfather clock in the hallway is stuck. And instead of chiming 12 times, it times 20 times. And he runs up to his mom and goes, Mom, it's later than it's ever been before. That's us. It's later than it's ever been before. 
Let's love the Lord. Let's love one another. Let's love our neighbors. We should keep this in mind. If Christ does not return in our time, he will certainly come at our death. Each ache, each pain, each gray hair, each non-hair, each new wrinkle, each funeral is a reminder that it is later than it ever has been before. It's time to love our neighbors as ourselves. Secondly, we see some specifics of how to live out that call, how to live out that sense of urgency on a horizontal level. Second half of of verse 12, Paul writes, So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling or jealousy. So he's very specific about those types of things that were to put off. He categorized three types of sin, orgies and drunkenness. Those words you together picture drunken individuals walking down the street at two in the morning, disturbing the entire town. That's what Paul's trying to get at, because that's what was happening in Rome. The Christian who wants to love in the way Paul's calling us to love must put, a wise, put aside such pursuit of harmful pleasures. They'll never satisfy us. Secondly, there's to be no sexual immorality or sensuality. The word sexual immorality is the Greek word that can simply be translated sins of the bed. And the word rendered sensuality is one of the ugliest words in the Greek language. It's describing someone who is not only given to such a lifestyle, they don't even feel shame about it. The Christian who wants to love in this way must understand that one cannot love the Lord and love others and have a love for unfettered sexual desire. Third specific is to abstain from quarreling and jealousy. This phrase describes someone who can't stand someone surpassing them financially or in any area of life having more success and holding a grudge against them. Tragically, many believers act as if it's their holy duty to keep others in their place. No, such behavior can never exist in the heart of someone who truly loves their neighbor. There is much that must go if we're to love on this level. Amen? We have to think about this. None of us are so naive to think that, okay, it might be different than Rome, but I have my own stuff. That's what Advent's about, recognizing our stuff that we're putting above the Lord, those those evils of being jealous about a coworker, jealous about a neighbor, jealous, whatever it might be for you. Let's put it aside, Paul says. These evils are the precise reason there's so little love in the church and for the world. There's so little love in the world. But there's also a glorious positive side that Paul says. He doesn't stop there. Notice, verse 14, he says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. In other words, make no provision for that lifestyle for you, dear brothers and sisters. It's true that we as Christians, just by placing our trust in Jesus Christ, have already put on Christ. 
Galatians 3.27 says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You're wearing his righteousness right now. But our text here today in Romans has reference to a practical day to day, hour by hour, minute by minute, repeating putting on of Jesus Christ. We're to embrace him again and again and again because we need to. Ray Stedman said it this way. He said, when I get up in the morning, I put on my clothes, intending them to be part of all my day, to go where I go and do what I do. They cover me and make me presentable to others. This is the purpose of clothes. In the same way, the apostle is saying to us, put on Jesus Christ when you get up in the morning. Make him a part of your life that day. Intend that he go with you everywhere you go. And he acts with you and through you everywhere you go. Call upon his resources. Live your life in Christ. That's what it means to be in Christ. So Paul emphasizes that the Lord Jesus Christ is what we put on every day. We bow to his lordship. He is king of all or he is not king at all. This is where we gain the capacity to love. Loving on this level comes with a negative, putting off the ways of our world, and putting on Jesus Christ. And we constantly do this. And it all flows from the fact that we've been loved unconditionally from the Lord. 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. His agape love, his unconditional love reaches down to us in Jesus Christ And Paul wrote further about this in Romans 5, that that his love has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit that's been given to us. I read this story and I was just blown away um, about the life of Catherine Laws this week. She demonstrated this unconditional love for her neighbors in in an incredible way. Back in the 1920s, she was the wife of the prison warden of Sing Sing Prison in Ossining, New York. It's one of our oldest prison systems in the United States, and it was an awful place even for criminals to go. They were beaten, some with cat and nine tails, beaten. The abuses are historical. And so when her husband, Lewis, arrived, he instituted some humanitarian reforms. They were no longer treated as animals. They were to be treated as people created in the image of God. He brought in activities for them. They were allowed to play basketball. They weren't before. They were allowed to play pickup baseball. They weren't before. Guess whose idea that was? Catherine. Catherine would often take her three children and they would sit in the 1920s and 30s with mob bosses (laughs) that were in Sing Sing Prison playing basketball with them. These were racketeers, white-collar crime murderers, and had a great impact on that population simply because she treated them with respect and the children treated them with respect. But tragically, in 1937, Catherine was killed in a car accident. And so the next day, her body lay in state at a home three miles down the road when the acting warden found hundreds of prisoners crowded at the entrance to this prison, he knew 
what they wanted to do. They wanted to visit her. So opening the gate, he said, man, I'm going to trust you. You go into the house. They didn't count the prisoners as they left. But when the night roll call came, every prisoner was there. Not one man was missing that night. Love for one who had loved them had made them dependable. Of course, this should be infinitely more true in relationship to us with our Lord Jesus Christ, ought it not? God's sacrificial love for us, upon us, and our place ought to make us completely dependable in showing our love for the world, no matter how different they are from us. How wonderful it would be if the majority of the church universal began to live like this, this Advent. Surely such love would be so amazing it would engulf the continents. A second century critic of Christianity in the Roman Empire wrote this about the early church. He said, assuredly this group should be rooted out and execrated, for they know one another by secret marks and signs, and they love one another almost before they know one another. Promiscuously they call one another brother, and sister. Oh, may God help us to love like that. Let us cultivate a sense of debt this Advent. Just as when we, we owe someone money, and our debt is what we think of when we see them. May it be with us the debt of love for our Savior. Let us enlarge our definition of neighbor as my neighbor is not necessarily someone who's like me. It's any person God has put in my way that I can help. So number one, let's be urgent. Let's cultivate a sense of time because it's later than it's ever been before. And two, let us put off the works of our 21st century world. And put on Jesus Christ every day and live for him the life he's called to live, the abundant and satisfying life that he calls everyone to, not just us. And let's love our neighbors well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for this wonderful opportunity we have this Advent to hit a restart, to look at your great love for us. And to put on Jesus Christ and recognize that because of that great love, we can love our neighbor. And we do so with a sense of urgency because it's nearer now than when we first believed. And we pray that as we do so, Lord, you would bring a great awakening through us that we've never seen before. And that you would be glorified in our midst and we would see you more and more in one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.